الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله We praise God Almighty, our Lord, our Creator, our Sustainer. We ask that on this day of Jum'ah, He bless us, that He showers His mercy upon us, that He accepts our coming together to draw closer unto Him through prayer and remembrance. This day in which we gather together to jointly announce and declare our belief that there is no deity worthy of worship except God Almighty, and that there is, and that Muhammad is, was sent as his mercy and blessings to humanity. My dear brothers and sisters, we live in a challenging world. We live in a in a time and in an age in which communications about events happening around the world bombard us, overwhelm us sometimes. And it sometimes we find ourselves challenged to process all of that information and to make sense of it, and not only to understand that information that we receive about events around the world, but how, and this is the important question, how do we as believers in God respond to that information? How do we react in a way that is fulfilling our responsibility to God Almighty and that will make us closer to God? We are bombarded by information in, regarding war and peace, around, about conflicts around the world, about oppression, about... Uh, the circumstances here domestically of bigotry and hatred and bullying and misinformation, ignorance, poverty. We're bombarded with all kinds of all kinds of challenges. And as individuals, we sometimes feel overwhelmed to the point where we're not sure how to respond. It's too much sometimes. And sometimes we, we don't respond at all. We don't have any reaction. We become callous. Our hearts become hardened to this or that bit of information. Or we, worse even than that, is that we despair. We fall into a psychological state of hopelessness where we're not sure that we can make a difference no matter what we do. And so we, we don't act. We fall into inaction, which is the opposite of faith. For as believers, we are commanded by God to follow the example of the Prophet Muhammad and the other prophets. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at great length in the Qur'an tells us their stories over and over again so that perhaps we can relate to their circumstances and their struggles and their efforts as human beings and perhaps see in their example a way that we can, a pathway that we can follow in our lives in this day and age. Consider 
consider the example of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, who at the age of 40 was inspired by God to do nothing less than to change the world in which he lived. That's a heavy responsibility to change the world, to change the society. The society in which he lived was a pagan society. They worshipped false deities. They mistreated one another. The poor were oppressed by the rich. The women were mistreated in that day and age. And his message was twofold. Transform people's beliefs from a false belief to a true belief and transform people's character and behavior from oppression and injustice to justice and beauty. At the age of 40 is when he received this charge. And it, talking about being bombarded with communication, that's a heavy communication to receive from God Almighty. But the prophet did not despair. He was granted, as it's indicated in the Quran and in the Asbab al-Nuzul literature and the Sirah literature and the Hadith literature, he was a bit overwhelmed, he was a bit confused, and he was reassured, uh, reassured not only by his wife and his friends, his companion, who later became his companions, but he was also reassured by God Almighty in the Quran. And some of the ways that he was reassured in the Quran was through the reminder of the circumstances of other prophets who had equal, equally daunting challenges. And so today, my brothers and sisters, I want to share with you a few verses in the Quran about the story of Musa, alayhi salam, who also, at an older age, received revelation to transform the society into which he was born. As you recall, the Prophet Musa السلام, was born at a time in which the Israelites, the Bani Israel, were persecuted by the Pharaoh and his henchmen. And they were, in fact, slaughtering all of the young boys who were born to the, from the Israelite community. And miraculously, God saved him. And on top of that miraculous saving of Pharaoh, he was raised in, in under the eyes of the Pharaoh. And he grew up in that environment and was empowered and grew to become a strong young man. And as he matured, he noticed the injustices in, in his society. And on his own accord, wallahu a'lam, he tried his best to, to rectify some of the circumstances, some of the oppression under which his people were living at that time. And in, in a zealous attempt to defend one persecuted worker, he killed one of the henchmen of the, of the Pharaoh. You all know the story. But listen how the Qur'an tells it. In Surah, in Surah Taha, he he, he leaves, he flees and for his own safety. He is, uh, he finds a place of, of respite in uh, the city of Median where he meets a woman and he courts her and marries her 
and establishes himself and is a person of great character and faith, but he's, he's abandoned the society in which he lived because he was fear, fearing for his life and he fled. And he had established himself and life was, he had paid off his, the debt to his father-in-law and had struck out on his own and was literally and metaphorically wandering through the desert. Literally and metaphorically he was wandering. He was adrift. He was adrift in the, in the desert and he's with his now household, his family, his tribe that he has established, his flock, and it's at night and he sees a fire over in the distance. And he tells his family, wait here, I see fire over there. Perhaps I can go to that fire, the source of that fire, and bring back a coal, a burning ember, and we can have our own fire. Or maybe I can get guidance as to where might be the best place for us to find sustenance and uh, for, for ourselves and our, and our cattle. He's looking, he's adrift, literally, and he's looking for guidance in this world. But he's also adrift with regards to his fulfilling his responsibility as a believer and as a messenger. Because he is not transforming the world in which he's living. He's subsisting, but he's not transforming it. And so when he goes to this burning bush, he gets more than he anticipated. He gets true guidance. Not just as to where the pasture might be for his cattle or some light to illuminate around him in the darkness at night. But he receives guidance from the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the almighty God who gives him guidance not just for the next few days but for his mission as a human being. He gives him guidance to go back to where he came from, to go back to the person that he has, fleed, has fled from, that he is most intimidated by, to Pharaoh himself, to go back to Pharaoh and to speak to him words of guidance and words of truth. In Surah Naziat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بَعَدْعَوْذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانَ الرَّجِيمِ هَلْ أَتَاكَ حَدِيثُ مُوسَى has the story of Moses come to you? When his Lord, his sustainer, called to him from the twice-hallowed valley. Go to Pharaoh. Now Moses at that time was comfortable. He had married, he had his own, he had, he had established himself, and he was... Had a, it was leading his, his, his larger group, his dar, and suddenly he gets this shocking communication from God, instruction from God, commandment from God, go back to where you came from, go to Pharaoh himself. اذهب إلى فرعون إنه طغى Because he has transgressed. He has Surpass the bounds of what is accept, accept, acceptable as a human being, and he has oppressed people. He has 
injured people. He has tormented people. He has limited people's freedom. Freedom to think and to believe. He has transgressed all bounds. This is a shocking instruction. A shocking instruction for a human being who is at the mercy, who is a single human being at the mercy of the army and the great might of the Pharaoh to be instructed by God to go to Pharaoh and to speak to him. Not only is he wanted by Pharaoh for the consequence of having killed one of his henchmen, but to go back to him on his own volition and to tell him off in his face that he's transgressed. And what is he instructed by God to tell him? And tell him, O Pharaoh, do you want to purify yourself? Do you want to come clean? Do you want to improve? And I will guide you to your Lord so that you may be in awe of him. And there's a connection here between his transgression and his distancing himself from God Almighty. So God is telling Moses, go to Pharaoh. Tell him, give him a chance to correct his behavior and remind him to connect back to God Almighty who he has distanced himself from through inflating his own sense of importance, his own ego, and through his transgressions against God and against his fellow man and woman. Now, when he was given this instruction, imagine you're in the place of Moses, imagine that you are in his place, in the desert, you're being sh shocked and awakened out of this comfortable life that you've envisioned for yourself and have just established for yourself. Go back. What is Moses' response in Surah Taha? What is his response? It's, it's a bit overwhelming. But listen to what Musa salam says in response. And, and we can relate to Musa because he's a human being. We look up to him because he's a prophet and sometimes we forget he's just a human being. He has his own fears and insecurities as we do. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to go to Pharaoh, he says, قَالَ رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي He said, Oh my Lord, don't make me too stressed out about this. Let me to breathe easily. Expand for me my chest so that I can bear this heavy weight that you have placed on my shoulders. اشرح لي صدري Make it so that I could breathe because that's his first reaction. He's overwhelmed. He said, oh Allah, let me, let me to take this task. Oh my sustainer, open up my heart to thy light, as Muhammad Asad translated. li amri, And make easy for me my task. He's a human being. He's trying to anticipate. Okay, God is asking me to go to Pharaoh and to tell him off directly. Call him out on his transgressions. 
Let me breathe. Make this an easy task because clearly this is not an easy task. And untie the knot from my tongue. In other words, let my speech be, let my speech be, let me speak coherently. So that my speech can be understood. Because a key to successful fulfillment of that, of that command from God would require that he as a human being equipped himself with the ability to fulfill that charge through effective communication. And he realizes that when he's speaking to Pharaoh, he's not just speaking to Pharaoh because chances are Pharaoh's not going to turn around. He's hardened his heart. He's distanced himself from God. He's getting a chance here, but likelihood is he's not going to come around. But when he goes to Pharaoh and he speaks to Pharaoh, there's an audience and people are listening. And his people who've been under oppression, when they see someone come and speak the truth to this dictator, to this oppressor, this tyrant, it makes an impression and people start to pay very close attention to what is being said. And so Musa wants to be able to effectively communicate the important ideas that he needs to communicate. But as a human being, he needs help. And he tells Allah. He asks Allah. He begs Allah. And appoint for me out of my kinsfolk, one who might help me bear my burden, my brother Aaron. So, he has a sibling who is, he wants to rely on. He wants help from. Because this is a, a huge task. And so he negotiates with God. Okay, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't pause or hesitate saying, I'm not going to do it. He started thinking, this is a huge task that you have placed upon my shoulders. How is it that I can fulfill it? First of all, I'm going to need some psychological help. I'm going to need some spiritual support because that's a lot for me to comprehend to go back and face the Pharaoh directly, number one. Number two, let me equip myself or help me, help me to be equipped with effective communication. And number three, give me some support from my brother. Give me some, some support because to do this on, on, his, on his own was too much for him to consider. And let him share in my task. Let him share in my task. So that together we might abundantly extol thy limitless glory and remember thee without cease. Verily thou seest within all of us. Verily thou seest all that is within all of us. And God responded... Thou art granted all that you have asked for, O Moses. You have been granted all that you have asked for. He has asked for things that will truly help him in fulfilling this obligation. And as Muslims, in today's day and age, we need to equip ourselves with those things that will help us fulfill our task. And so when we live in a day and age in which we're bombarded with information, misinformation, 
that of happenings all around the world and here at home, we, we need help. We need to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we need to ask God for what it is that we need. First of all, we need the psychological support. We need support from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to come together and find support in one another. We ask Allah, we ask Allah and we turn to Allah to help us understand what it is our responsibility is, what it is that He's asking for us to do. And in, and in a day and age where there's oppression and tyranny in our own ranks and there is injustice around the world, here at home and around the world, we need to identify how it is that we can fulfill our command as believers to transform this world into a more just, into a more just world, into a world that is uh, collectively fulfilling the commands of God and singing the praises of God? How is it that we can collectively uh, serve one another in a way that is pleasing to God? So, let us reflect for a moment upon our shortcomings in our fulfilling this task so far and ask Allah for forgiveness and for guidance so that we, we may move forward in a way that's closer to Him and be able to stand before Him on the Day of Judgment in his pleasure. And Allah yastajib lakum. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. My dear brothers and sisters, As human beings, we have limited capacity. We have limited ability. We are imperfect. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is without flaw. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-powerful and all-knowing. Nonetheless, He has given us an awesome responsibility. And He has given us some unique opportunities at the same time. Our obligation is to transform the world into a better place, into a more just world, into a world that upholds truth and serves those who are less fortunate. He has also given us the opportunity of one another. For we have the, the, the chance to gather here every Friday for the Jum'ah and every day for the daily prayers. And to find in one another someone like Musa found, a brother to help him along the way. And someone with whom we can discuss to try and understand how it is that we can navigate through this world with uh, all of the uh, messages that we're getting from around the world. Some things are clear. Some things are very clear. There is oppression in many Muslim lands. We can still see what's going on in Syria. And we have to ask ourselves, how can we, so far away, help our brothers and sisters that are suffering there, and in Yemen, and in other parts of the world, in Bahrain? How can we be helpful to them? We can't give up our, our hands in, in despair, for this is the opposite of faith. We have to remember and remind ourselves of, of our responsibility and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance on our steps forward. 
But as we learn from the example of Musa, the first thing that he wanted to equip himself with after the emotional and psychological reassurance from God was the ability to communicate clearly. And in order for us to communicate clearly as American Muslims, and we have the freedom of speech here, and we have the opportunity and the venue, in order for us to communicate clearly, we have to understand clearly. We have to empower ourselves through learning and through education and through knowledge. We have to be up to date and up to speed on our religion and the practice of our religion and on what is going on around us in our society and in the world. This takes a commitment and a dedication, and doing so is an act of worship. Educating yourself about your religion and educating yourself about the world in which you live is an act of worship. And in doing so, we can develop the language that we need to communicate clearly the values of Islam. So we can speak in our own voice about what Islam and Muslims are about. And that we can speak collectively truth to power regarding foreign and domestic policy. I'll share with you two stories in conclusion. The first, about how the importance of knowledge will, uh, or, or how equipping ourselves with knowledge is important and will help us fulfill this mission. Uh, last week I was guest lecturing at the law school in Pepperdine, in Malibu. And I was giving a presentation on Islam generally. And the students, and it was a large class, the students had read some material about Islam generally. And after my presentation, one of the students, she asked a question, she said, I read in the textbook that the highest form of jihad is to speak truth to power. And then she proceeded to say, given that, how come Muslims live under dictatorships and have for so long? How could that be? And she articulated something that maybe many other students didn't have the courage to ask, but maybe were thinking. And she, um, the, ch the challenge is, how do you answer this question? So in response to the question, I turned the question back onto her, and I simply asked her, how is it that Muslims came to live under this oppression? How is it that societies formed in the today's modern world where the Muslims came to live under this dictatorship and oppression? She said, well, how come Muslims don't have democracy, and you know, why didn't they just develop that like it was in the United States? I said, well, how, how is it that Muslims came to live in those lands under those rulers? And what role did, uh, did the, did the uh, foreign powers play in the establishment of those, of those societies? And uh, I said, give me an example. She said, well, when they first came into power, how come they, they didn't resist from the beginning? I said, give me an example of a society in which a dictator came to power and there was no opposition from the people. She said, uh, I can't think of an example. I, don't, I actually don't know my history. And what she was indicating was, or reflecting, was a common experience. There's this impression that our fellow Americans have about uh, Islam in the world today, and this, um, this romanticized notion of where we are as a, as a country and how we came to be in this privileged position, and it's oftentimes baseless or not founded on 
a, a firm knowledge of our own history and the history of the world. And so then I proceeded to explain to her the historical developments in various countries, etc. But the point is, if we have the understanding and the knowledge to be able to clarify where we stand as a Muslim and where we stand in world history, then we can debunk some of these misinformed impressions about uh, the United States and about uh, the position of Islam in the world. And lastly, uh, this is a, a story of how we, it is that we as human beings can remain connected to, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala despite some of the challenges that we face. And we face all different kinds of challenges. And this is a, this is a story that came out of Ramadan in our youth group. We had a a uh, famous celebrity come and visit our youth group. And it was on the night of Laylat that we were celebrating Laylatul Qadr. And he came around one in the morning. And uh, we prayed to Hajjud, then he spoke to our youth group. And someone asked him, you're a famous musician, a very famous uh, artist, well-respected around the world. How do you keep your ego in check? How do you keep yourself connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and humble? Because he seemed rather humble coming on his, on his, in the middle of the night to a community that is far from his home just to speak to a handful of youth. And he said, last night I was performing. I had 40,000 people in the audience and they were all, they had all memorized the lyrics to my songs and were singing them with me. And when I came, they rolled out the red carpet, they fed me the best of food and... Tonight, I came here to Los Angeles and I wanted to pray my tarawih prayers and I was late to the masjid. He went to a small masjid somewhere in the valley and he said they didn't have space for me so I prayed on the concrete on some garbage bags. And he said, I went to that mosque because I knew that no one there knew me. And I stood there on those garbage bags reminding myself that ultimately... I'm going to be standing alone on the Day of Judgment. I'm going to be standing alone on the Day of Judgment. And when I remember that, everything else fades away. Nothing else is important. So let us ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us remember our standing before Him on the Day of Judgment and to help us prepare for that standing through prayer and remembrance, through our good deeds, through asking for forgiveness for our shortcomings to you, O Allah, and to our fellow human beings against whom we have transgressed. O Allah, help us to see truth as it truly is, and let us give us the stamina to follow it, and let us to see falsehood as it truly is, and give us the strength to avoid it. Rabbana atina fid dunya hasana, wa fil akhirati hasana, wa qina adab nar ya azizu ya ghaffar. O Allah, accept from us this prayer, forgive us for our shortcomings, purify our hearts and our souls, and reaffirm 